Okay, Anvita, thank you so much for being a part of the Strategy Podcast. This is the first show I'm recording with the Chief of Staff, so I'm very excited, and I'm sure there is a lot to learn uh, in this session. Delighted to be a part of it. Glad you. I can help. Thank you. So, my first question to you, Anvita, is uh, why didn't you take me or us through your background? Where did you start? I read through your LinkedIn profile. Uh, you've been an alumni of IIT Bombay. Then you moved into consulting. Uh, then, as a venture capitalist, you worked with Sequoia, and then you transitioned into the chief of staff role. So, why didn't you take us through your early journey, and how did you land uh, finally into the chief of staff position? Sure, Rohit. And in a nutshell, you've actually laid out the milestones, key milestones per se. I'll maybe touch upon a few softer aspects of why did those milestones really happen. Um, so I hail from Indore, which is a small town in India, and that's where I finished my schooling uh, till twelfth standard, and uh, figured that engineering is something I want to do, uh, not with a lot of logic at typically at that age, at least at those times. Uh, it was more of the friend circle I was a part of. All of us were just kind of putting in long hours to study for JE. Um, was fortunate to crack it and make it to IIT Bombay. Um, the four years at campus were uh, just incredible in terms of uh, the learning and exposure you can get. Um, and I'm referring to not just friends or uh, a lot of references that you can get in terms of network, uh, but also exposure in terms of what you can develop as skill sets, uh, be it leadership, be it teamwork. You're exposed to uh, a lot of extracurricular activities which are over and above your regular academics. Um, so I was a part of the uh, inter-ID badminton team. Um, I've been a badminton, uh, you know, I've been a badminton player rather from uh, from school days. Um, not like a national champ or something, but I played district and state and stuff. And I realized that at campus there are inter-ID tournaments uh, for multiple sports. Um, and uh, that being a soft spot, I kind of jumped in. Um, not just uh, fitness element of the sport was uh, of, uh, of playing actually got touched, but I actually worked and played with uh, the badminton team. Um, which instilled in me a beautiful uh, teamwork as a skill set because uh, you're cheering for your campus, you're cheering for your team. And that's an unparalleled feeling which uh, you, you kind of develop for yourself. Um, apart from that, a few other things. So I was a part of the uh, core group team at uh, TechFest, which is Asia's largest science and technology festival. Uh, we, at that point in time, uh, get, used to get a footfall of about 150,000 people joining us at campus for about two days. Um, we used to organize a series of events, competitions, exhibitions, lecture series. Um, and I was a part of the core team who was typically 20, 22 of us uh, in our third year. Um, and used to spend long hours just ideating on what do we want to make out of this Asia's largest festival of science and technology, the platform that you get, the stage that you get, how can you make the most of it? Um, so I was fortunate to be a part of that. Um, a series of such uh, developments at campus led me to probably internalize what really uh, is my strength or what is core to me. Um, and what stood out was that uh, driving impact or driving leadership is something that appeals to me the most. Uh, so much so that in my final year at IIT Bombay, um, I actually co-founded a venture in edtech space. Uh, we were called Scoodle, which was a, a learning management system on the cloud for colleges, institutions, etc. Um, and uh, I, I kind of got a feeling of the real grit that kind of find founders go through. Um, in my first year, in my in the first year of the uh, the um, of the venture, in my final year, we actually did about 25, 30 lakh worth of sales by bringing on board about four to five large institutions, and went on to execute those service contracts that we signed with them. So got a beautiful or an end-to-end -end, uh, understanding of 
I wouldn't say starting and running a venture per se, but working on an idea and implementing it to a phase that you can say there's an MVP done. I, I could have, you know, eventually scaled school if, if that's something I wanted to do. Um, but then came the time where I was to evaluate career options and what's in it that I want to do long term. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't want to take a startup stand, stance right away after college because from uh, whatever mentorship I, I got, I realized that uh, this will be a short term uh, call if I take, if I right now continue my venture. I, I should get some. Uh, professional experience and if I was getting a chance to work at a uh, you know a firm like say BCG I think uh, that that would have been uh, definitely helpful for me to develop uh, a lot of core um, uh, you know strengths around analytics and problem solving and structured approach etc so uh, spent rigorous time to kind of get for that and was fortunate to get in um, worked about for two years at BCG, uh, worked, uh, worked across different sectors in, in core infra and consumer um, and uh, the regular projects like cost cutting and um, just uh, uh, restructuring a bunch of uh, business units, etc. I was working with billion dollar clients and uh, mm-hmm. got a beautiful exposure on analytics and problem solving side of it. Um, but wanted to come back in the uh, startup ecosystem in some form and realize that the best form that I can, can do that is from the other side of the table as an investor. Uh, and that's when Sequoia happened, uh, joined their consumer and healthcare team, uh, was there for about two years, uh, got a great exposure on the, the core answers that I was really looking at in terms of how our startups evaluated, how our sectors um, really evaluated in terms of market sizing, competition analysis, uh, so much so that how what can I say is an investable business and how, uh, what kind of valuations should I be looking at? So saw end-to-end, a few end-to-end deals and was fortunate to understand that entire process um, in and out. Um, and yeah, I think post that uh, came the journey of the chief of staff uh, where um, I wanted to get an operator role or an operator experience because uh, I wanted to drive impact myself. I wanted to empathize with the founder journey, uh, but also was not in the zone of being able to risk uh, being a founder in terms of the risk of financial risks or even a risk of what's the idea I'm really passionate about. I uh, didn't have open or clear answers by then and realized, um, hey, it's a journey I wanted to take. It's a set of learnings I'm looking at. Um, so might as well join an early stage high growth venture. Uh, where I can create impact, drive impact as good as a founding team member. Um, so I'm going to stop here. Maybe I overextended what you would have expected me to. Uh... That's amazing. <laughs> and uh, in fact, I can resonate a lot with what you, a lot of it uh, that you just said, because my journey has been pretty similar. Uh, one thing though, I'm jealous of you because, you know, I, I was doing chartered accountancy and it's a correspondence program. Although it's very difficult, but uh, I never got a chance to be in an institutional setup where you have so many things and, you know, you can involve yourself and from badminton to societies, which grows you as a person and makes you ready for the challenges to come. So that's very interesting. Uh, and I have a couple of questions uh, from this, but I think I will just take it uh, as we move ahead. I want to ask you a little bit about your experience as a management consultant. Now, I see a lot of job postings on uh, for the chief of staff role today uh, in the Indian startup tech ecosystems, especially. And I see them uh, mentioning very clearly that if you have a background in investment banking or venture capital or uh, in the consulting space, that would be a huge plus. Why is that? How much of uh, what you learn in those jobs has a direct impact on your role as a chief of staff? That's a great question, Rohit. And I'll just caveat that I am exposed to a 
kind of role of chief of staff, which for me, I mean, chief of staff doesn't define what your work is, right? So you kind of need to dig that deeper to understand what your real role is. Um, I exactly know the skill sets that each of these uh, past professional experiences would have contributed in my current chief of staff position. And that's the caveat that um, if your chief of staff responsibility is similar to what mine was, which was as good as a founding team member, uh, this will help uh, what I'll share now. So uh, I think it's it's extremely specific and clear, right? I mean, uh, we're talking about joining as a chief of staff at a high growth early stage venture, which means almost everything you look at is broadly either broken or not where it should be, which means there's scope of improvement in every possible element that you can pick in that venture, uh, which gives you chaos. And hence, uh, when you're looking at your time at a BCG, for instance, you get problem solving and structured approach as a core of how you'll approach any case that you're designated to, right? Even if at an associate level, at the entry level that you join, you may be given a very, very small part of a problem statement, but you're kind of trained and expected to have a very structured approach to solving it saying, okay, is the, if the loss, if, if companies facing losses, what can contribute to losses, you figure out the specific, uh, uh, specifics of each and further break them into buckets saying, okay, what can contribute to these losses and kind of solve them in a very, very structured way. Uh, I think those two skill sets of problem solving and structured thinking kind of come in very handy when you're looking to solve for this chaos, because, uh, you need to prioritize, you need to create that classic two by two of how much impact can come from what input you give at. You have to focus on something where you put in least input, but are able to drive maximum impact. Um, and that approach or that framework is, is, is generally natural or comes naturally to consultants who have worked in the past and being a chief of staff one now transitioning out of the role. And hence I was in a position to hire chiefs for chief of staff, um, if for my handover, um, I completely second on how how critical or differentiated can a consulting experience uh, be for you if you're looking for a chief of staff at an early stage venture. Um, from an investing standpoint or being an investment banker or venture capitalist, um, a, a very key element of typically what entails in your chief of staff role is that these early stage ventures will be out for fundraising, will be out for venture capital fundraising. And your founder will want to look up to you for um, not just network, because that's still typically what founders can drive, but the entire back end of funds, a conversation starts uh, right from saying that I'm able to prove that my TAM in the baby care market is $75 billion. And this is the breakup of it bottom up as well as top down in terms of reports uh, to saying what kind of competition is there in the US and China. And why do we say that India can you know, become a big, big opportunity uh, to coming to specifics about the company saying these are the company historicals in terms of financials. This is how we're looking at projections and we look to become a $100 million company next five years um, not a lot of founders will be extremely comfortable uh, with getting into depths of these numbers because of which they will want to rely on a chief of staff who is a pseudo uh, founding member or will be in those um, conversations and meetings with investors um, the founder will want the chief of staff to be around to take a bunch of these specific specifics that investors kind of look for um, and hence the ideal uh, combination naturally becomes a consultant plus a venture capital background looks like you have a few things taken care of in terms of your skill sets what you take on and what i can now thump the table what i took back was uh, the hardcore grit of building the venture out uh, extreme perseverance being very very um, rock solid on the final mission you're looking at in terms of the you know the the long-term vision of the company um being extremely anal about wanting to achieve that and hence um just being constantly aware that there is a longer mission that you're on 
um, ensuring that the culture of the team is driven by the way you work because you do join at a very senior position. So being cognizant of that and driving leaders and leaderships and other team members uh, with that. A few of those things kind of come in uh, not very directly as a part of the, uh, the previous roles as a consultant or venture capitalist, but a few things which can drive about 60 to 75% of your role um, will be from these previous experiences that come handy. That's interesting. And uh, a follow-up that I have here is uh, when it comes to management consulting, you know, you told me it's very structured, the way you are looked to or expected to approach a given problem statement. It could be small for an associate or an analyst and would grow as you uh, grow into that role. But one thing which the critics of management consultants say is they come up with these, uh, you know, jargons and, uh, uh, you know, cash cows and dogs and bring all in, all of these farm animals in and they try to bring a lot of structure. It works when you're, when you're um, advising a client who is also structured, so, which is why you probably work with some of the largest Fortune 500 firms in the world. Does it change in a startup? Because, you know, you just said it's all chaos there, right? And in chaos, can you bring those structured systems which work well in the management consulting fortune find space and apply them into this um, unstructured chaotic environment. Yeah, no, that's a beautiful uh, point Rohit you make. Uh, but my answer to that will be an absolute yes. Uh, and I'll tell you why, because everything breaks down to first principle uh, at management consulting, right? And that's, that's from where all these cash cows and, uh, you know, the farm animals, as you put it, kind of come out. Uh, if you look at look to them on paper, they will look theories. But as a consultant, and, and it's interesting that there is there has been an interesting shift of how clients, even the larger structured clients, are now expecting consultancies to consultants to actually prove their theories that they kind of you know have these hundred page of PPTs. They're expected to implement those and kind of uh, deliver the change they promised to uh, do. And that was a shift that also came in when I was working at BCG as well. So my last case at BCG, and I did just two or three large cases. I was there for just two years. My last case at BCG was actually a 13 month long case in Kolkata where the first three months was pure strategy. Uh, but the balance was uh, to actually implement that strategy and deliver the results we uh, expected to. Um, there can be chaos even at a large organization and not there can be, there is chaos even at large organization. Um, I think since you approach every uh, problem with a 101 or your first principle, um, you can absolutely bring a structure to a very chaotic smaller organizations as well. And I've seen that help me build baby chakra. Um, so uh, I can second that it's it's absolutely possible. It's it's first principle uh, at the end of the day for both places. Um, I want to come to baby chakra now. Why don't you start with the journey of how did you find this role? How did you discover it? Uh, was it through uh, through your network, or did you find a job opening somewhere? And how did this entire process happen? How did you find how did you finally get into the company? Sure. Um, so, like I was sharing earlier, that I was keen to get on an operator experience. Uh, where, why let Sequoia, and hence the conversation or the thought around where should I move next started there. Um, I started reaching out to a few Sequoia portfolio founders, which was the natural thing for me. I started meeting them, spending time with them, understanding how they're looking at businesses. And if there's a way uh, I could work with them to kind of drive the impact I was looking to drive. Uh, there were a couple of shortlists as well, which I was seriously considering. But at the same time, I was open to uh, networking with other founders as well. Um, the conversation with my current founder uh, at Devi Chakra happened kind of by chance. They were looking for a chief of staff, it seems, and I was reached out probably among the hundreds of uh, those who they had reached out to. Um, and I just set up a 30 minute chat saying it's harmless. I mean, you know, uh, 
Naya, who's the founder, she comes with an exemplary black background herself. She's an uh, she's an expansion consultant. Uh, was at HBS uh, then, and then she started Baby Chakra. So figured it it's uh, harmless to kind of make a uh, do a conversation. Uh, we had a thirty minute chat on calendar, uh, which actually lasted at a, for a three hour long conversation. Wow. Uh, we kept kept talking. We kept discussing on how I would build Baby Chakra if I, I was uh, to be building it with her, and it was amazing to see how we were converging on a lot of points. Uh, a lot of how I was thinking uh, we should kind of launch business verticals in terms of revenue streams uh, was something she was envisioning as well, um, and that was a direct click. Both of us could uh, relate to saying there's something happening here. I mean, there's something we should materialize in terms of a relationship. Um, and the conversations progressed and uh, it, it was the click that both of us had uh, amongst us that we wanted to um, hmm. okay interesting um, tell you something and as I understand this role correctly it's working directly with the executive team the senior executive team building out the core strategy operations managing it end to end uh, what do you think could should be the ideal key character traits in a person? The you know the human skills that we are talking about these days a lot, right? What kind of skills do you need to have apart from the technical skills, of course, in finance or strategy that you learn um, on the on uh, that you have learned in your previous jobs? What kind of uh, uh, you know human skills that you need to really deliver in this job? because it involves talking to a lot of stakeholders, managing a lot of them simultaneously. Yeah. And managing so many expectations yeah. is very difficult. True, that's very true. Um, I think three things come to mind. First is just um, acknowledging that you're joining at a, at a leadership position, which means that you will drive culture of the firm. And I kind of touched upon that briefly a, a, a little bit earlier, but. Uh, the catch here is that since you will end up either recruiting these leaders or there are management teams already in place and you're going to work closely with them, um, it will be your working style that will be in addition to the founders, as is the case. I mean, at large organizations, it's how the founder works, drives, uh, sets the tone of how you know your team will look up, how your team will look at the company as well. Uh, and that starts uh, mimicking to what's expected out of you as well. Um, so that's a, a very subconscious element which you should be aware about you should probably take some initial active steps to ensure that you're setting the tone right of your working style um the second that comes to my mind is just acknowledging the fact that there will be chaos um and i'm, I'm just caveating that this is not a cos position for a, a well-established uh, you know, large organization, it's relatively smaller, a 30 member team or a 40 member team, um, where you're still seeing that hockey stick growth every single day, there are newer problems to solve. Um, and while you solve them, it can get overwhelming in terms of uh, what all is moving and what all is uh, needs to kind of get improved. You should, you should just internalize that, that this may be the case for some time and you should be comfortable with that. Uh, you should be comfortable giving in long hours. Uh, but that's, I mean, that's not a, that's not a human uh, you know behavior per se, but that's just your um, buy-in into what role you're signing up for. You should be like 100% there in terms of uh, being able to say that this is my venture I'm building. I have my stakes in it to uh, prove its success because um, I'm vested in it not just financially or for whatever resources you get, etc. I'm vested in it because I I care about the passion, what the company is building towards. I I love the team I'm working with. Um, so that's the second element of Again, the the um, the wit that you come with or the passion that you come with, um, you should be passionate about what you're joining. It shouldn't just be a 
decision you take with maybe because it's it's offering you better uh, compensation anyway. I don't think a CEO's position can be justified if it's just you're coming in just for that. You need more in terms of motivations and incentives to uh, get up at a 7 a.m. call if it is for a U.S. investor, something like that. Um, and the third thing that comes to my mind, and you kind of correctly addressed earlier, that um, a lot of uh, pieces are moving in terms of the uh, the thing you're trying to build. Um, what's going to be critical for you is to constantly have the long-term vision in mind and not be very, very swayed by something that's coming short-term and appealing to you. Uh, you should be cognizant that you're eventually building for the long-term in terms of a brand. You shouldn't be at all in a position to take a decision which can at all hamper the brand for a short-term gain in terms of, you know, some, I don't know, some business or some, some revenue or some growth of users. I think you should be uh, just, you should acknowledge that um, you're working for the long term in it. You're working because you you aim to be the largest parenting platform in the country, um, and whatever it take whatever it takes for you to do that is something you're doing. Not because you short term want to put something in the MIS in terms of growth of users. You may do something which may be borderline, um, uh, not legit, or uh, maybe you know tricky a little bit. Just just be conscious to avoid that. Uh, you may be tempted to do it in a small you know early stage startup where a few of these things kind of end up matching a lot in that point in time. Um, but that long-term vision is critical because um, it's not the short term that will at all help you uh, succeed uh, for long. Wow, got it. Uh, tell me, uh, Anvita, when you look at this role, one critical element is having that uh, approach to work with a lot of different stakeholders. So probably managing cross-functional projects where uh, you're probably leading on behalf of the CEO, pushing that agenda forward and then managing so many different senior executives together. Uh, I'm pretty sure and as much as everybody is trying to uh, push that common, common agenda forward, there could be times when there are, you know, clash of egos or uh, issues propping up. How does a chief of staff uh, mitigate it? and uh, you know work around it to make sure everybody is streamlined and we're, we're moving from one pillar to post achieving our goal post yeah you know, that's a great point and you're absolutely right i mean there will be a bunch of conflicts that end up occurring and i'll tell you one core reason which at least i've observed the most why it happens is because um, there is a metric or a set of metrics that the company wants to achieve as a company as a business right but that gets broken down into individual metrics for each team which they hold as their say, KPIs or which they hold as their go-to milestones for the next one month, one week, whatever timeline the businesses are comfortable with, right? Um, not, a, not each of those individual metrics end up getting directly tied into what you want to achieve as a business metric, right? And I'll give you a classic example. Mm -hmm. For instance, if our goal for the end of the month is that we're looking at doing like 5 million monthly active users, Right now, breaking that down into say, and I'm giving you context of a company like Baby Chakra, which is into content, community, and then eventually commerce as well. Uh, one of the smaller, smaller KPIs for teams will be to publish, say, some infographic content, which will in turn drive shares, which will in turn drive uh, communities to engage, like, comment, share, etc., and will in, in an indirect fashion contribute to monthly active users. Now, the team who's operating or building that uh, infographic is the team that will only look at the number of infographics, for example, that are being going out. 
but that getting linked to that 5 million number for the month may not be something which as direction as explicit direction may be clear to the team for example and that's okay that need not be the case they know what their operational goals are and they achieve towards it um what interestingly happens is that during the month or during that time there could be some interesting initiatives in terms of say some uh, tie ups that come in some partnerships that come in which the company ends up seeing relatively critical or something that we cannot not do we need to do them because they will contribute directly or in in a similar fashion to the monthly activities we're looking at the chief of staff there needs to intervene to ensure that the teams who was now making infographics will also need to work with the partnership we've gotten in because that will also contribute to the monthly active users which starts generating a bit of chaos again in some way to them because their daily work per se for them has not been what they expected at the start of the month now this is a very very small example of uh, you know what kind of clashes may happen or what kind of conflicts may start happening there are numerous such instances where um, you know some other team leads needs some priority work for their vertical and they are codependent on some other team because they kind of help them with say, social media or emailers or sms and all of that um where i as the chief of staff and typically chief of staff when they kind of intervene is to uh, bring in the perspective of outside in the outside in perspective saying um ideally we should do both the things ideally there shouldn't be a, a you know yes one or a two that we should be doing ideally we should be doing both that's the stance we come in with um but if that is not possible because of basic constraints and that's why common again in small stage startups you will be always constrained for resources and bandwidth um it's on me as a chief of staff to take a call on what is the real priority where do i see that impact in terms of either short term or long term whatever the call needs to be taken at that point in time and be able to drive direction to the team so that they need not just be directionally clear on what they should do in terms of activities but have the vision of why is one being chosen over the other um and if even if in the short term it may feel that it is not directly impacting what we set out to achieve it has to link with the business goals it has to link with maybe longer term activities at this point in time um but the, this is the most common uh, set of conflicts that at least i've come across and i'd like and I'd, i can absolutely be certain that it's it's standard across these early stage ventures where prioritizing and being able to see that long term direction and vision uh, becomes a, a area of conflict and uh, as a chief of staff you just want to intervene by putting the lens of an outside in perspective to say that what's right for business right now um, and be able to prioritize with teams uh, effectively and that's a that's a very interesting point anvita when you say you have to make those decisions as a as a chief of staff to balance the trade offs between uh, short term and long term goals of the organization and in fact when i was doing the research for this role and i was going through brian ramos um interview where he was talking about uh, how he manages these conflicts and he said one point which kind of stuck to me he said you have to establish your own credibility in the organization and so it's very important that they should not think of you as the ceo's man and you have to use that designation rather sparingly it's you have to build that trust with the team what do you have to say for that do you think that that that's true for you uh that's you, 100% true do you avoid using your ceo to get work done uh, or were there times in your team when you were dealing with somebody who was too difficult that you actually had to do do it yeah so uh, i will address that I, i want to touch upon the initial point you made uh, that you want to establish your own credibility as you join the organization i think that's 100% correct because um and i just say another small layer of perspective there 
whatever my age is right now is not similar to what other leaders in the company may be in, right. in terms of just age, right? And that's very common to a consultant who joins right out of IIT. Uh, is, is thrown this comment by numerous clients that, hey, my daughter and son is older than what you are and what you're going to tell me in terms of work. Yeah. Um, it's, in, it's, it's very important to establish your credibility by way of your skill sets, by way of your analysis. Um, and that holds true even in a smaller organization, probably a little more because um, it so feels that those... Uh, and it's, I have not experienced it. I'm, I'm gen- generically talking that it so happens that other leaders in the organization end up feeling that I come with more experience. I know this shit and I can solve it probably better than you who don't have that experience right now. So it's critical you build your credibility yourself. Uh, the way to do that is never to bring up saying CEO ne bola hai It's, it's mm. never a good idea. Uh, it doesn't fly. It doesn't help you with building your own credibility. Um, what you should uh, do though is, and at least what worked for me, uh, I hope rather what worked for me is that um, I would try to be in their teams as much as I would be in say the CEO's team in some way, um, because I wanted to, I, eventual goal for me was to solve the problem. Um, it was never a stance that I come in kind of bashing and saying, this has to be done, so figure it out and I kind of move out of the room. That was never the stance. The idea was always to problem solve with them get into the depths of where they're stuck in terms of implementation which means that i'm a part of their team and the ceo is that that person who's actually actually probably bashing um and hence i i was in a position to be able to establish that sort of credibility by jumping into their shoes as needed helping them get to the depths of the problems they're looking to solve where they're stuck operationally um and being able to de-bottleneck that um have i ever used uh, the being devious is certainly not a skill worth having as a chief of staff not at all. Not at all. It won't take you uh, places at all. Very, very short term that you may look at. Yeah. Tell me something, Anvita. So if you're, you know, young professional or a, or a guy who's in fourth year right now, looking to get into this position, right? Trying to craft it. He does not have a management consulting or a venture capital background. How does he build, um, you know, the right communication? through his resume or CV, that would exemplify that he could do it, right? If he wants to go and approach an early stage founder and uh, craft this role for him, how do you think he should approach approach this? Sure. Um, and that's, I, I think uh, I'll be able to address that probably uh, more in a more thorough fashion right now because I've been seeing a bunch of profiles who've applied so the chief of staff position at, at Baby Chakra and we've been able to freeze on one who's an excellent uh, new join as well. But um, I'll tell you how it may be broken down. One, the candidate needs to be very sure that he or she wants to do this job. Um, I think that's the starting point where you know what you may get into. The chaos I was talking about, the unstructured approach you're talking about, but then the extremely steep learning as well, what you eventually look up to, you should know what you're getting into. Um, if in that fourth year, for some reason, you, you're enlightened that this is something I want to aspire, um, forget management consulting or venture capital for now. I think uh, the few core skills we spoke about in terms of problem solving, in terms of structured approach, in terms of the, I think the skill sets of financial accounting and all of that can be built in via, you know, a few digital courses. So that's not the biggest of the worries, but um, just being able to problem solve and drive impact at scale uh, will be a very big value add for a founder who is looking at having a chief of staff in. Um, so for, for those aspirants, I think some, some advice could be that try and join another startup or try and join a firm where you may not be the chief of staff. You may be somebody uh, running a business unit or maybe somebody uh, leading a particular vertical. 
um, but you're exposed to those kind of uncertainties and problems which you're able to solve for and drive the impact, which is going to be very, very relevant and helpful for the founder. Um, uh, and that's something that can get you in definitely in the interview room. I have interviewed a bunch of entrepreneurs who may be either entrepreneurs or uh, senior team leaders at Younger Ventures um, mm -hmm. who mentioned about how they were able to solve a bunch of interesting problems, uh, which I could relate to. And I could see that, uh, you know, if they come to Baby Chakra and are able to solve this, um, they can. So um, that's one approach. Um, and yeah, I think eventually if at all you're able to prove those specific core skill sets um, uh, in one fashion or the other, you should be good. Amazing. Uh, tell me something, you're now going to Harvard Business School. Uh, a lot of people I see as I was going through their profiles or as chief of staffs at both tech startups and established large MNCs, everybody, almost everybody, like nine and 10 profiles, they have an MBA from uh, any of these premier institutions, either in India or the Ivy League. Why do you think, why have you decided to now ha having all of this experience under your belt? Where do you think uh, the role, what's the role of an MBA uh, and how does it fit into uh, this role, right? Why are people who are doing it now and why are you doing it now after doing, going through this grind of being an entrepreneur, being a management consultant, because these are the roles that people explore after an MBA. You've already done it. So what's the catch? What are you trying to do? Sure. So I can, I may not be able to generalize that. I, mm. uh, there are some things in, in say a Cora where you'll hear why people do an MBA and that could be a generic one that you can take. I can absolutely share my story uh, because that's, that's uh, personal. So for me, um, after the two and a half years of building baby chakra, a couple of things, uh, enlightened me in some way, um, that, uh, I love the experience of the learning I got here. I completely empathize with the founder journey and the passion the founder needs. Um, but I also saw a bunch of learnings in terms of uh, how much you need to put in, in terms of your, um, you know, your time commitment, your personal commitment, your emotional commitment. Um, and hence, one of the takeaways for me was that I love being around the startup ecosystem. Uh, and I do want to continue being uh, in, in this, but not as a founder at this point in time, I want to go back to investing, uh, where I'm able to work alongside a lot of such passionate founders and drive impact via them at scale. Um, so that's something that started, uh, you know, coming to mind uh, about a year from now, after the time I started, embark, you know, thinking about an MBA. Um, in full honesty, an MBA at this point is a bit of a two-year break in some way, where I'm just trying to get a breather, get a bunch of exposure in terms of international networking, uh, explore opportunities uh, abroad in India and just kind of internalize, you know, how is my long-term looking for me? Um, a few things that, that are getting clearer is that, uh, you know, investing is something I want to do, which means I may want to spend some time internationally to, you know, grasp the investing expertise and strategies uh, of funds there and be in a position to kind of come back and add value to the investing ecosystem again. Um, for me, that was a short answer of why MBA fit right now. Um, can't generalize. Uh, but interesting to see that nine out of 10 of your TV staff positions had an MBA. So yeah, all of them. Interesting. Almost all of them. <laughs> um, interesting. Now, uh, I want to move ahead and ask you if you have to decide on, uh, uh, you know, what makes this extremely rewarding, right, this experience. What would be those big takeaways for you? The role of sure. being. Uh, yeah. 
So you can break them in two buckets, like the largest buckets. One is your financial return, which you uh, get vested in, not just from the basic computing, but because you bet that I'm going to make this company more valuable than it is today as at the time you join, you uh, kind of negotiate for better ESOPs or, uh, you know, worth of better shareholding in the company for whatever it's worth. Right? So that's one direct uh, reward in terms of a financial tangible reward mm. um, that's there and that's you know that's on you in some ways you're rested in yourself the more value add you do in some way you're rewarded in you know a proportionate way whatever right that's that's the first direct tangible element of it um, the non-tangible uh, softer elements of it are uh, extremely hard to just narrow them down and share with you in terms of a few pointers um, but like I was sharing earlier just the uh, the passion of building a venture and driving impact um, is something that I take as a reward for myself. I I got into an organization like this at this role because that's exactly what I was looking for. Um, I was looking to run a business or build a business um, as a pseudo founder, which I got a chance to do. Um, see the highest of the highs. I was actually in uh, San Francisco at the Google Global Accelerator program, pitching Baby Chakra because we were a part of the team there. Um, and the high I got there saying, I'm building a venture or I'm uh, building a venture with a team that is actually serving more than 2 million young families in India. Um, that was the high, that was a reward I, uh, you know, absolutely happily cherish. Um, and then I've seen, you know, even the lowest of lows where, uh, you know, I had to shut one of my initiatives. I had to let a few people go uh, because that didn't make, you know, a lot of business sense at this point in time. Um, all of these learnings kind of put together give you a strong sense of empathizing with the founder journey that, um, you know, while it may seem beautiful and extremely uh, rewarding to the outside world, it's, it's just learning, learning, learning in the initial phases and you need to accept that. Um, and uh, a lot of the elements of, you know, just uh, the culture setting in the team, hiring, uh, being able to prioritize things, being able to uh, drive impact tangibly by, you know, the metrics we're looking to build, um, actually set up revenue verticals because that's one of the pieces I said and I came in for, I was passionate about, I was excited about. Um, so doing that seemed to scale and now handing over uh, that vertical with, you know, a completely new team that's building it. So seeing that through as well. Um, I think a lot of these operational elements you take back uh, uh, as a learning, as a reward, uh, which is the softer uh, skills of it, yeah. Tell me something, uh, as I could gather from your conversation, and as an entrepreneur myself, I think uh, being an entrepreneur is being uh, a jack of all trades, right? You have to know a little bit of everything. Uh, and that's how, that's how as you're telling me more and more about the chief of staff role, I see it as a generalist role, right? Uh, where uh, you know a bit about marketing, you know a bit about finance, you know a bit about investing and organizations and structures and hiring and culture building, everything, right? It's, it's so mixed up. Yeah. Huh? How do you, um, uh, what, what's the role of having a specialization into a, in, in, a, in a role which is so generalist? Do you think somebody who, Sorry, who has I, a background, you think somebody who has a background in general management suits better for this role than somebody who has a specialist degree? Um, I think that's absolutely nuanced. Uh, mm. I can totally uh, think of, say, a venture that's maybe right now in the short term, 
not struggling, but is looking to, uh, you know, build their marketing capabilities. And, you know, chief of staff spending 50% of her time doing that, but the balance 50% in uh, taking care of the other responsibilities of, you know, uh, team management and culture right. setting and hiring and all of that. Um, I think it's very, very nuanced. Uh, even for me, if, if I now connect the dots, uh, eventually, mm-hmm. I think even for me, I was passionate to uh, just kind of build business from the beautiful community that Baby Chakra had. Uh, and that was one um, specialization in some way that I came in to add value with. Um, investing came as a specialization in itself also because I had uh, the, the exposure. So I think it's nuanced. It's going to be case by case. It's going to be what you really see yourself bringing to the table and what the organization needs at that point. Okay. Uh, I have one more follow-up question on this, which is around the fact that uh, um, as a chief of staff, you know, historically, this role started in the military. It then percolated into the government and then it got into corporates. Uh, it's adding one more layer of executive positions because now, especially in big companies, you have, every head has a chief of staff to so a CTO has a chief of staff, a CEO, a CEO, everybody has a chief of staff. So when you have like so many people as a second rung layer of executives, does it create bureaucracy? Maybe not so much in a smaller early stage environment, but in a, in a larger organization, have you seen it create any kind of impediment to the company's uh, grow, growth or goals? Uh, I think that's a that's a interesting point you make, Rohit. And um, I mean, not that I have anecdotes to uh, you know categorically share, uh, but I'd like to believe that it actually doesn't. I think uh, the chief of staff was hired in the first place because uh, the person, you know, the the leader like was has, extreme. Like LinkedIn has almost like fifteen chief of staffs when I was searching. Everybody has a chief of hmm. staff there. <laughs> Yeah, but think about it, Nuru. I mean, the reason why this chief of staff position should have come in place is because uh, their respective leaders, maybe the CEO, the CEO, or the CTO, um, were managing teams which were, you know, probably extremely large. There was a lot of inter-team dependencies, which was getting probably a little out of hand. And this chief of staff layer is kind of bringing that structure, bringing that uh, coherency in the way teams may work because that's an important element of uh, why you bring in a chief of staff right i mean um i have experienced that with a solo founder and i i can absolutely tell you how difficult can it be for uh you know the the founder or the founding team to just run the show across verticals managing all into team dependencies and ensuring that business meets its goals i think this layer uh, helps the founding team or the management team uh, in a lot of ways to uh, de-bottleneck a bunch of processes that may take long you know weeks to just find a time in calendar and set up a meeting to solve that you know chief of staff the, the, the chiefs of staff per se can uh, get into discussions with specific teams figure out the bottleneck and get processes running so I'd like to believe that these roles were created and uh, people were hired on these roles to help that out. And that's the only purpose they're solving. Um, I don't think they should be adding another layer of bureaucracy. I mean, you're already having four structures. That's the fifth one getting added in terms of a layer at best. So I would like to believe that's true. You know, we're, we're all talking about being agile, having these, uh, removing cubicles was the first step towards it. Uh, and having cross-functional setups so I don't know how does adding another layer benefit this overall uh, structure. But that aside, I want to be the devil's advocate now for my next question and ask you, when should somebody not think about uh, either from a founder's perspective, uh, have a chief of staff or from a professional's perspective, uh, not get into this space? Uh, 
So first, let's take the founder's perspective. When do you think an organization should not have a chief of staff? I think, uh, and, and I think that's looking back to what have one these days is how I could perceive. Yeah, and I see where you're coming from, and and that does link to the earlier point you made. That is adding that chief of staff layer, just adding uh, you know another layer of reporting, just if it's, if it's that. Uh, I think if it is really that, then the companies shouldn't look for getting a chief of staff role. It's not at all that you need that on paper. I think um, you should think about getting the chief of staff when you, as an organization, need a lot of inter-team uh, dependencies and uh, pieces you need to put together across teams, across verticals. Um, and that is the case across all organizations. So it's, it's a given that there will be things. But if things are getting out of hand a bit, or if you're seeing that there are higher dependencies in your uh, being the bottleneck to be able to take some decisions which are impacting eventual business goals. If you see any of that happening, it should be the only time you get in the chief of staff. It shouldn't be the case that just for fad or just for, uh, you know, everybody's doing it. So I'll do it kind of a thing. Um, you should have them. Uh, I so don't think that should be the case. Um, so yeah, that's, that's how I'll see it. I think all early stage companies who have just one or two founders uh, and are, are looking at exponential growth can make use of some exceptional chiefs of staff okay. um, i think yeah what about a what about a young professional when do you think he should not go into a, a role like this because uh, if you just read through the jd it sounds amazing you look at the compensation it's even more amazing you see the equity company and you're like wow so you don't think through what i am getting myself into which is what you uh, initially discussed uh, and then you end up uh, making mistakes and you can't make too many mistakes in this road. Uh, maybe even not the right fit. So how do you evaluate yourself individually, making sure you're the right fit uh, and you're going into this role consciously, not just for the money or the position or the limelight that you get working closely with the CEO. Yeah, that's a great point. And you know, Rohit, this is something I personally uh, with the conversations I've been doing for transition, a bunch of interviews that I've been doing, mm. a few of the candidates who I really liked in terms of their approach, their problem solving, their just thoroughness on how the case studies they presented to us and, and stuff. So much so that I want to thumb the table saying, let's get this person on, get this, uh, you know, these people on. Um, I realized that the, the culture fit and the expectation setting is very critical. Um, and I, I and I've seen that how that can become the deal breaker for, for the professional to not want to take up this role. Uh, the culture fit is you knowing who the leadership team is, you knowing who the founder is, and not just from a professional level, knowing personally the way they operate. If, there's a, if she's a morning person, if she's an evening person, if she's a coffee person or a tea person. I mean, so much so that you want to pick up the phone every single every single hour or two hours and just be in sync with the founder. You need to know that person, you know, the CEO as as the person, the leadership team as the, as you know people, uh, not just those professionals. Um, that's the culture fit you need to establish. Are you comfortable working with those, with those sets of people at the first place? Um, and the second becomes the expectation setting fit where uh, you need to know what you're getting into. Um, and that's a bit of onus on the firms or the organizations as well to ensure they're setting the right picture uh, to the chief of staff um, with whatever is you know going great needs to be shared, but whatever is not going great also needs to be shared with the layer of sanity that they, uh, that they can, how much ever they can share, they should. Uh, because the chief of staff role, as you said, you know, you can't make a lot of mistakes in this role. And if you end up getting hired for wrong reasons, um, you may just end up uh, regretting that as a, you know, a long-term decision that you um, should not have taken. Um, so in addition to all the skill sets and, you know, the limelight, as you mentioned, 
the professional should be very sure about the culture fit and the expectation setting that's done uh, for him or her. Awesome. I just want to close this interview asking you, Anvita, anything that you think I should have asked and I missed because I don't have any background as a chief of staff, so I don't know if I've covered everything. So it would be great if you can help me out. Anything that you think I should have asked you? Um, so nothing very specific, Roy. I think you were extremely thorough. Um, you touched upon the right, I mean, being an outsider gave you the, uh, the more set of questions. I mean, had you known a bit about this, you would have been biased. So I think you had um, some, some very relevant questions. I think one thing we could have spent a bit more time on was what's the progression from the chief of staff? I mean, is it that you spent two, hour, two years and maybe transition out or uh, do you see a longer term career in the organization? A bit about that may just help, you know, the professionals who are looking to take that on. Um, and, why did you uh, answer that question? <laughs> happy to. So um, again, that's a bit nuanced, but uh, if you're able to, uh, so it, it's, it's, it's both ways, right? I mean, the organizations need to love you, the business, you, you need to prove your worth in the organization and you personally should love what you're doing. Uh, assuming that's the case, uh, there can definitely be a bunch of track roads in terms of you becoming one of the COOs, you becoming one of the business heads in terms of say driving one of the revenue verticals and leading a team of hundred below you if, if uh, as you kind of progress in the organization. Mm. Um, so there can be multiple track roads depending on your fit, your uh, interest, which the management team should be absolutely open to because uh, you've proved your worth and you're loving what you're doing. Um, and the same is true for the, latter, for the other scenario where uh, you love the two, two and a half, three, four years that you spent, um, but you then also start uh, evaluating the longer term piece for you there which then is, uh, you know, a transition out of the company saying, okay, this is amazing. This is great what I've learned, but now I want to figure something out uh, in terms of uh, my long-term career. And that, that again comes as a uh, personal stance, but I just want to highlight out that there can be some great tracks that you can further continue to build on for yourself in terms of your worth or the rewards you look at. Um, it may not just taper after a point uh, because that was actually asked by a bunch of candidates who I was interviewing saying, what mm -hmm. next? I mean, in two years, I'll learn whatever there is to learn as the chief of staff. Uh, can I move to a particular vertical after that? Or can I, you know, kind of progress to becoming the CEO of the company? Uh, and the answer to that was an absolute yes, uh, especially in early stages uh, management teams are very open to having sharp candidates or amazing candidates uh, retain. Um, so yeah, that's something you can look up, look forward to as well. That's amazing. Great, Anvita. I would like to thank you from the bottom of my heart for taking the time for do for doing this. Uh, there was a ton of uh, amazing information that you shared with me that is, that will personally help me uh, and a lot of people who will be listening to you. So thank you so much for being a part of this show. Thanks, Rohit. Glad. Uh, really love the conversation. Uh, information. I'm available on LinkedIn. Just DM me, and uh, I'll I'll make a way to respond as well. So yeah, this was a pleasure just speaking to you. And great initiative. Hello. Hello. Can you hear me, Anvita? Hello. Hey, am I audible? I can hear you now. Yeah, uh, I think there was a bit of disturbance that I didn't. Yeah. So thank can you, you again, Anvita. Yeah, I can hear you. Thank you for uh, being here. I think it was a great show. Acha recording. 
आई एम हैप्पी आई वाज अ लिटिल टेंस्ड इनिशियली कि कैसा करूंगा मैं बहुत दिन हो गए थे मेरे को किसी से बात की नो सो इट्स इंटरेस्टिंग यू हैव बीन अ ग्रेट गेस्ट यू मेड मी कंफर्टेबल आस्किंग क्वेश्चंस सो या थैंक यू सो मच so much to learn from you and let's stay connected not at all it was a pleasure thank let's you good luck with strategy podcast it's thank a great you. initiative have a great mm-hmm. day ahead bye take care you too bye